0: Hey, everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Jesus this morning. You guys glad you came to church today? Well, the good news is the fast ends this week. Can I get an amen? Amen. A little too much excitement there. That's my daughter. So, uh, yeah, at, at, so 21-day fast, that 21st day, 21st day, is uh, is on Wednesday. So do with Wednesday what you want. Like, Jesus was crucified on a Friday, but then he rose on Sunday. So you got Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and we say he was, you know, in the tomb for three days. In Jewish culture, it's the, like if it's any part of the day, the whole day counts. So I think if the sun's up when you get up and like, you know, 7.30 and you... You do with that what you want to. Amen, everybody. Pray for me tomorrow. Actually, I have a a kind of exciting opportunity. I personally am looking forward to a chance to speak to the Rogers County Association of Baptist Pastors. And they're probably not going to know what to do with a guy like me. So I'm going to go and I'm going to preach last week's message on demons. But I'm going to change the word to deacon so they know how to relate. I heard his story, and I'm going to share it with them, but um, hope they get a kick out of it. But you're my lab rats this morning, so I'll judge by your reaction kind of how this goes. So there was, it's actually a true story. There were two pastors back in the day. Harold Ockingay was the pastor of Park Street Church in Boston, Massachusetts, and Donald Gray Barnhouse was the pastor of Tenth Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, both big, more high-church traditional churches. They were friends. They decided to go on a preaching tour kind of a round robin, so they would have a service and then for 30 days they were going to do this preaching tour and any given night one would preach and then the other would follow them and then the next night they would just rotate the order. So whoever preached second on that night, they would preach first the next night and then just kind of reverse the order. So Barnhouse learned pretty quickly that Ockingay would preach the very same sermon night after night after night. Well, Barnhouse was preaching a different sermon every night. So after a few nights of that, Barnhouse did some kind of quick math, and he realized that on the last night, he would be preaching first. So to be a little bit ornery, he memorized his companion's sermon, word for word, point for point, transition for transition, illustrations, all that. So the night came, and Harold gets up, and he preaches Barnhouse's sermon flawlessly. He sat down, no grin, no smirk, nothing, wondering if Barnhouse would be ready in season and out of season, right? Barnhouse flawlessly preached a brand new sermon, like just without skipping a beat. At the end of the evening, after all the handshakes were given and all the thank yous had been expressed two friends, they were walking out the center aisle of the church together and Ockingay smirked a little bit and he said, boy, they sure seem to enjoy your sermon that I preached tonight. Barnes said, uh, yeah, they enjoyed it when I preached it here about a month ago, too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll tell that tomorrow. That's fine. Um, I was doing the math the other day. Next month, February, actually, we'll commemorate, some celebrate, some mourn. You can kind of choose your words wisely that I joined the staff at what was then Cornerstone Church in a part-time capacity in February of 2003. And yes, I was 15 years old. That's very important. You need to understand that. So, I'm so incredible for the leaders that have served this church, both on staff and, and elders down to the years. And it's always been my desire to always honor those who paid the price for what we enjoy today with the likes of Larry and Donna Moore. Many of you have heard the story that Larry and Donna were the founding elders, founding folks of this church. And I love, 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 love to hear those stories of those first days and Donna used to lead worship and she would actually make a cassette and put like two or three songs and yes, it had the artist's voice on it and then they would just use that cassette to sing three or four songs as a part of their worship service. One of the things that they incorporated early on in the bylaws, I did not write these, the current board of elders did not, they've just always been in my history with the church was this practice and principle for our pastoral staff of a sabbatical. Our bylaws provide care for our pastoral team. So if a pastor has stayed long enough to last seven years, our bylaws ask that they take a sabbatical. It's not a vacation, it's not disciplinary, it's not a leave of absence, it's a time of rest, recouping, and re-energizing. I think, and I may be some of you longtime folks could remind me, but I think I was the first pastor to actually stay long enough to qualify for a sabbatical, I, I might, Greg might have taken one. I don't recall. Do you remember if he didn't? So, so I did that several years ago. And um, Pastor Matt has actually hit his 11th year as full time staff here at uh, Hillspring Church. Yeah. <laughs> so seven, eight, nine, 10. Yeah, so I've been fighting with him for several years about uh, needing to take a sabbatical. Let's just say he fought the law and the law won. It just took me about four years to get there, right? So let me be clear. Uh, Pastor Matt's sabbatical is not disciplinary in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Probably should be in some regard, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? But uh, this is more reward for faithfulness and also uh, rest. It's not a leave of absence. It's not a vacation, Part of what he'll be doing over that is time to just connect. But at the very end of, of his 30-day sabbatical, he and Matt Cassie have just some fun stuff to do. Um, but tomorrow morning, they're actually getting on a plane. We're sending them to a place that's created for this. They're going to spend some significant time there. And um, so here's what I'm going to ask. Let's protect this process for them, okay? Because Pastor Matt, we know he's the go-to guy for a lot of organizations, since predominantly around here, he's a go-to guy. The problem is Mr. Go-To is gonna be gone, okay? So Matt and Cassie have built a phenomenal student ministry with amazing youth leaders, and and those youth leaders are still here. They're here for your students, they're prepared. I've met with them. I mean, like ministry is gonna go on as normal, okay? And I, I'm gonna ask you from a pastoral perspective, don't get your feelings hurt if Pastor Matt doesn't text back or call back or, or even email back or respond, there are parts of his sabbatical that he actually will not have his cell phone, okay? That was my call and my doing. He got in the floor in the fetal position and sucked his thumb when I told him there'd be parts that he wouldn't have his... But if you need something, uh, our incredible entire staff is here. Pastor Joe is gonna be doing all of Matt. No, that's not real. <laughs> um. Most of our students are already connected in small groups, and they already know who that point person is. So if you need something with your student, if you, if you can't get hold of them, you can send an email to NextGen at Hillspring that's designed specifically for our kids and youth ministry, and so the appropriate people will get that. Um, call the office, get a hold of me, Pastor Will, Pastor John. We're like Teamwork makes the dream work. But here's my request of you. Don't be hurt, because I know, well, it's, it's, it's just me, yes, but there's just a lot of, it's just me's. And so he's not ignoring you. He's doing actually what we have asked of him and what our elder board has asked of him and laid hands on him and prayed for him and cast and commissioned them. He's healing so that he can lead better and serve better from a rested heart. Amen, everybody? Amen. If you would, open up your Bible this morning to the Gospel of Mark. We're gonna move in today to the second chapter. I'm really glad after that whole demon conversation last week that you came back. And so Mark chapter 2, we're just going to begin at the beginning of that chapter. Verse 1, it says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors, there was no more room, even outside the door, while he was preaching God's word to them. You're going to see throughout the day as we unpack the beginning verses of Mark chapter 2, that something happens when Jesus shows up. Verse 1 says that news spread quickly. If you recall from Mark chapter 1, that he had released a man that had been possessed by demons, and many people heard about that. Mark chapter 1 also says that Jesus went throughout healing many. His best efforts, Jesus tried to suppress his fame. He didn't want this to be the carnival comes to town. He didn't want this to be a spectacle that people were coming just to see a show. And in spite of his best efforts, words spread. If they didn't see Jesus the first time he was in Capernaum, now he's back. And for sure, they want to get a glimpse of him and what he might do this time. It says the house that he was staying in was packed. People were even outside, had their heads poked through the windows, through the doors. The concept that Mark is after in the telling of this story is there was no more room. No more room. What you're going to see is when Jesus shows up, there is a crowd. Jesus had a gift and ability for drawing a crowd. When Jesus shows up, There is a crowd. When there's a genuine move of God, you cannot contain it. Where there is a place where you can experience God's true, peaceful, genuine presence, where that can be experienced, you can't manufacture that. You can't make that happen. And I'm going to be honest with you, you can't contain it. I don't know if you've ever been in the room where the Spirit of God, He's there already. Like God is omnipresent with us. The Bible says, wherever I go, to the highest highs or lowest lows, His presence is with me. But sometimes you are in a room and the Spirit of God just shifts and you feel it and you experience it. And when that happens, you cannot manufacture a move of God. Now, you can manufacture momentum but you can't manufacture a revival. You can't manufacture a move of God. To create momentum, you just spend a little money, you build a little thing, you advertise a little this, you remodel a little something, something there, but you cannot manufacture a move of God. So what's the difference? What's the difference between some momentum and a true, genuine move of God? Momentum, yes, people will come, but when it's a move of God, people will change. When there's momentum, it's compelling. You wanna come see it, hear it. When it's a move of God, it is convicting. You're gonna see that today. In momentum, it's exciting. When it's a move of God, it's anointed. When it's momentum, it can generate resources. When it's a move of God, people are generous with resources. I used to wanna do the things that would draw a crowd. I used to want to grow. The older I get, I'm not, I'm not driven by growing a big church. I want to grow a church in the right way, in the right church. Used to be around pastors, and, and their first second question first question would be, how are you doing? Second question was, how many did you have on Sunday? And there were times I would have to say, well, does my wife being pregnant count? Because if I can count her for two, that significantly helps the numbers. I don't want to be guilty of a man making momentum when we should be pursuing a move of God. See, something happens when Jesus shows up. When when the presence of God is real and genuine and and it's not just man-made, man-manufactured momentum. When Jesus shows up, it's genuinely going to draw a crowd. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto him. I want to live in that place of going deep, And wide with Jesus. I want what Paul described in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and know the power of him. Like I want to know Jesus intimately, but I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed even unto his death. John Wesley is quoted as saying, catch fire with passion and people will come from miles just to watch you burn. I pray that you and I be that place where Jesus shows up and I pray we be the church that catches fire with a passion for Jesus and people will come from miles just to watch it burn. Amen, everybody? Verse 3 says, Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof right above his head. So they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus saw the paralyzed man. My child, your sins are forgiven. He didn't heal him. He went right to the more important issue about where he'd spend eternity. And he says, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now that is one dinner party gone wrong. Okay, There's something about, oops, I spilled something and your carpet needs to be cleaned. Something about trying to put the lampshade on your head and you break it, Right? It's another thing for a guy to tear a hole in your roof. And Jesus performed a lot of miracles. He did a lot of good for people in need. But what's interesting about this miracle, it's unique. It wasn't until I was out of college, sitting in the pews at Claremore First Baptist Church, listening to Dr. Kevin Clarkson preach, before I ever noticed, before I ever heard or caught the word there, In Mark chapter 2. As a young reader of the Bible, I did what many do. You capture the big picture of the story that Jesus miraculously healed a man that was lame and could not walk. That in his own right is compassionate and impressive enough. The details of the story, if you think about them long enough, it actually kind of warms your heart just a little bit. This paralyzed man had four people go to the concerted effort to bring him Jesus. Now, maybe they were brothers. Maybe they were neighbors. Maybe they were cousins. Maybe they were family. Could have been just friends. Could have been people that were tired of stepping over him. It could have been people that like, okay, enough. Let's just go get you fixed. Mark's account tells us that four men carried a cripple man on a mat to see Jesus. And when they got there, On top of the difficulty of trying to carry him, it was now crowded. So I just envision clunky. I don't know if that's a word, but that might be a good word to describe. Trying to carry this paralyzed man who can't help, and they're carrying him on a mat. Did they have to stop halfway and set him down so that they could rest? It just depends on how far the journey was. Did one of them at any point drop their corner? If I was on the team, that's a high probability that would have happened. These three verses, they read very effectively. Mark gives an adequate information. Mark goes into detail that four men were willing to carry a paralyzed man on the mat, but he leaves the struggle to our imagination. He leaves the clunkiness of getting them there to our own thoughts. But verse 5 gives a whole new insight into Jesus and what he sees. Mark chapter two, verse five, seeing their faith. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. There's that word there that had slipped my attention. Seeing their faith, it was not the condition of the crippled man. It was not to validate his teaching that the crowd that was gathered, it wasn't to impress anyone. It was not the begging words of anyone. It was the faith of his friends that moved the heart of Jesus. So when Jesus shows up, there's a crowd, but when Jesus shows up, there's also compassion. And in this story, there's two layers of compassion. If you're still with me, say amen. There's two layers of compassion that are captured in Mark's telling of this story. The obvious compassion comes from Jesus that he would heal the man. Those same words would be used throughout the gospel to describe moments with Jesus. Matthew 14, 14, and Jesus went forth and he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion. Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Matthew uses that phrase. So does Mark, 140. In the last chapter, we just went through. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Verse 41, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched an unclean man. I am willing to be healed. It's a pretty common scene when Jesus shows up that there's compassion. But there's another layer, there's another component of compassion in this story. It's word there. Four men carrying a helpless, paralyzed man who's unable to walk, who's unable to help. It's just this clunky journey that took some effort. But so do spiritual relationships. They, they can be clunky. They can require a lot of grace. They can require a lot of forgiveness. As Paul says, hey, listen, be gentle with one another like Forbear like overlook one another's faults. Just have a lot of grace. Spiritual relationships can be clunky. Sitting in a room with a bunch of people in a small group sometimes can feel clunky. We start, we're gonna launch our small groups next Sunday. I invite you to to be here. We'll explain how all that works. You're sitting in this circle with some people you might know, maybe the person that invited you, and, and then there's other people that they don't know, and immediately you just feel like, oh, no, i got to tell my deepest, darkest secrets. Listen, on behalf of everybody else sitting in that room, um, let's not start the conversation with the deepest, darkest secrets. You know what I'm saying? There might be a path eventually to get there in a smaller setting, maybe with someone you trust, but let's keep some of those deep, dark secrets, just keep those tucked away until an appropriate time, Right? Let's start with names and pets and hobbies. Lie if you have to. But when you meet somebody for the first time, let's just not go to those deep, dark places, right? In the first week of small group, if someone starts to say, well, it all started in 1972 in a foxhole in Vietnam, just stop them. Fake an episode of something, I don't know. We can get there in due season, but let's just start with names like My name's Bruce. Hi, Bruce. You know what I'm saying, right? So many times in the course of, the younger people got that, many times in the course of a semester of our small groups, there are times that someone may feel emotionally paralyzed because of grief or loss or heartbreak or uncertainty. You pick your dreaded emotion. And Mark chapter two, verse five, is a beautiful example of what we are trying to accomplish through our ministries, through small groups. Their faith, their faith. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins to him, to God our father, he is faithful and just to forgive us. Amen, everybody. I'm so glad we have a gracious, loving father who forgives. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. It's his grace and mercy that's given to you. That part's easy. The hard part many times is forgiving myself. Like when I count, they, they know, well, I know he's forgiving me. The hard part is, It's forgiving myself. It's many times easier to forgive the person that hurts you than it is to let yourself off the hook for mistakes that you've made. This is where the power of their faith, this is where the power of clunky relationships is so powerful. James 5, 16, if you confess your sins to each other, we confess to him to be forgiven, but we confess our sins one to another. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. Sure, sure that could be for the common cold or the coronavirus or whatever, but but James is going after an emotional healing that the enemy uses those wounds of the past. The enemy uses those things that happen to you to try to derail you from the destiny that God's given to you. And James says, listen, God brings clunky spiritual relationships, their faith into your life. Bring somebody along on your journey. The devil wants to confess you, you're the only one. And when you find the power of somebody else has been through something like this, somebody else struggles with these same temptations and thoughts, there is power in their faith. It's clunky, it's hard, but it's God's gift to us to help us emotionally heal. Be honest with you, there's a lot of people that have carried a corner of my mat, well, oh, Pastor Joe, he have been around here for a long time. He's, he's carried a corner of my mat for me sometimes when I was so tired or stressed out or burned out, I couldn't carry it myself. Larry Moore, who started this church. know my wife, since she was that big, there's been times he carried one of the corners of my mat. Our elders, like Mike Poole, Brian Bell, Colby Hunt, Keith Wright, Devin Wilcox, Noel Peterson, man, they're carrying the mat of this church as they're spiritually guiding and leading us. People like Darren Searcy, Paul McKinnis, carrying the mat. And then there's the staff that I, I wouldn't want to do any of this without them. Pastor Matt's carried part of my mat for a long time. Pastor Will, Cassie, Pastor John, Tara, Pastor Kelly, Cassie. What an incredible team of people we have as a church carrying our mat. There's pastors in this community. We just prayed for one. Pastor Chuck at Harvest, an incredible friend and I have deep, pastoral, intimate conversations. Rusty Gunn, Seth Swindoll, Luke Crane, Chad Stewart, just the amazing leaders, spiritual leaders that God has put in this community that we're here. we, We had our Minister Alliance Local Church Network meeting last Sunday out back in our next generation. I think 24 pastors and leaders showed up as we prayed for this community and we dreamed about what would it look like if the churches in this community rallied together to seek and save that which is lost. And then there's saints like Pam Jackson that's helped carry a mat a long time around here. And we don't say thank you enough, Pam, for what you do. Matt and Cassie, there's a room full of people that we're gonna carry a mat for you for the next 30 days. In prayer, and love, and we're holding your corners. Can we be real for a second? I think we all have those people that show up to help carry our mat, and they're smiling, they just want to help, and your thought is, oh, Lord, they are going to drop me. (laughs) I mean, I love Pastor Matt. I mean, emotionally, spiritually, man, he has held my corner. But if we're talking physical labor, like physically carrying the mat, I'm assuming he's going to try to find a camera real quick so he can be capturing the moment. Isn't that what you do Is like part of the photography team? Stories. I'm gonna invite you to take that step. And some of you, it's the thing you need most. It's also the thing you're afraid of the most. It's the thing that you can make every excuse, I don't have time, you've convinced yourself that your schedule wouldn't allow. Seeing their faith. Who's your there? Who's your there? Be here next Sunday. Be here next Sunday. Come prepared. We're gonna have our small group rally. You can sign up right there on the spot. We have over 25 small groups that you can connect and be a part of. Listen, we are working hard. We have an incredible small group leadership team. We're working so hard, so diligently to create a place where you can belong, where you can find people with their faith. They brought a broken man to the feet of Jesus so he could be set free, so he could be healed. But they also brought a man to Jesus, and I think this is a safe assumption. Maybe he didn't know Jesus. I mean, he might have heard about Jesus. He had heard the community scuttle, might have even got a glimpse of Jesus. But I don't know that he knew Savior Jesus. It's clunky. It's hard to bring people to Christ, it's work. But what if, what if 2023 was the year? We kind of put the pandemic behind us and what if we as a family caught fire, especially in this 21 days of prayer and fasting So what this is about. It's God that we might catch fire so that someone might get saved. What if this was the year so that people might come from miles around? What if like Jesus, we were moved with compassion for the lost? I love all the stories of Jesus, but there's a story found in Luke's gospel. And I had that kind of compassion moment. Luke 19 says, as Jesus drew closer to Jerusalem and he saw the city ahead, he just had this moment where he was kind of cresting this hill and he began to weep over Jerusalem. How I wish today that all people could understand the way of peace. He's sitting there and he's seeing the lostness of a town, oh, I wish that they could hear the gospel. Oh, I wish that they knew where salvation was from. Oh, I wish that they could understand the way of peace. As Jesus peaked that hill, he just, his heart was broken for the lost. It was moved to tears. It was about my second, maybe third year as the youth pastor here. I'm not from Sand Springs. I'm married a Sandite. She sucked me in, won't let me out. And this was way before any of the really economic transition had transpired in our community. That area where our, uh, El Magui, El maguey El Magay—I don't, I don't even know. Like I've been to Honduras, Nicaragua, Mexico. I don't, I don't know, right? But we're Starbucks. I can say that one. Starbucks and IHOP. That River West development. That's just an incredible part of our town, specifically economically developed speaking. That was not there. Many of you remember it wasn't the best of neighborhoods. The police frequent there often. And as you head north on Highway 97, right there at the Highway 51 intersection, it it, it was just, I, I don't know, to this day I can remember it as clear as if I was in that moment right now. And I'm stopped at that intersection, and I can just see over St. Springs, and I don't mean to make this weird, but I could just see the lostness. I could just see the darkness that almost sensed like it hovered. And 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 I just related to Jesus in that moment as he saw Jerusalem and he wept. And in that moment, in my car, I literally, tears began to form in my eyes. I was broken. Like, I, I figured I would be here in Sand Springs for three to four years, and then, then I would probably move on to a church that had a, I don't know, a unique appreciation for people with redneck accents and told crazy Daisy Oklahoma stories, you know what I'm saying? But it was at that moment that I knew that I was home. God broke my heart. I said, Lord, I'm here as long as you want me to be. Compassion for the lost, it looks different. In so many ways. Back in the day, churches, churches used to do Monday night visitation and go door to door and and, and knock on people's doors. And, and that people are just uncomfortable with that anymore. Dear friend of mine got on to be with the Lord Ken Brassfield. I went on my first mission trip with Ken to Nicaragua, and he was an evangelist at the core. The Ken made it a habit every day on his way home from work, and he would go on those Monday night visitations, but he would always stop on his way home and try to at least witness to one person. And his son Carl, at his dad's funeral, shared this story. Sometimes his dad would come home from those Monday night visitations where they would go knock on doors, and he'd say, Mama, can you go to the piano and can you play that song? There's just something about that name. And as the family would begin to sing, Jesus, Jesus. Carl said his daddy would just lift his hands. His big old tears would stream down his face. And he would give thanks for just one person that gave their heart to Jesus that day. For some of you, that just comes natural. Some of you, you're wired that way. Some of you, you worry about the lost. You think about the lost. Some of you can walk in a room and you can lead the lost, the found, the dogs, the cats, the rats. They all get saved and come to Jesus. Hallelujah. Some of us don't have that. God wired you that way. It's a gift. We talk about that in our growth track step two. Some of you kind of like me. Paul says to 2 Timothy chapter four, keep your head in all situations, Timothy. Endure hardship and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfilling all the duties of your ministry. For some of us, it's, it's work. Even for you, pastor, even for me. Bringing people, carrying people to the feet of Jesus, it's clunky, the corners get heavy, requires a lot of patience. What if this was the year we found that one? What if this was the year You were diligent in your prayer for that lost friend, that lost coworker, that lost face that you can see, and you moved it up on your priority in prayer. And we as a church were fasting and praying with you. What if this was the year that we as a church caught fire and the loss came from Miles to see it burn? Because there was a move of God, not uh, man-made motivation around here. Amen, everybody? Momentum was the word I was trying to say there. Sorry about that. What if this was a year you start tearing open the roof and lower someone down? Now let's, if you do decide to tear the roof, make sure I don't see it so I have deniability when the insurance company comes. All right, like I don't, I don't know how that hole got there. So, kind of thought that'd be funny. I don't know. <laughs> Y'all know what deniability is? Big words, I don't know. Verse six, just about done. Some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there, remember, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. This is the the perfect Jesus story. It just is. What's he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus knew they were there. Why do you think he did it? Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, "Why, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the son of man, like their thought was only God can forgive sins. And what he's saying is I'm fixing to prove to you, I am divine. I am God. I have that right. I will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man. He said, stand up, pick up your mat, brother man, and go home. And the man gradually, no, 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 the brother jumped up. Can I get an amen? He grabbed his mat. He walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and they praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Somebody ought to say amen again. That's the perfect Jesus story. It has it all. It has all the components of Jesus' stories. I mean, people were taught by Jesus himself. He was an amazing teacher. The story has people who were moved with compassion, their faith. People are inspired. They're moved by God. A crowd showed up. People are bringing their friends to Jesus. You have this encounter with the... Uppity religious people that are questioning what he does. And Jesus just does what he does. He outwits them and outsmarts them every time. But the point of all his teaching, the point of all of his miracles, the point of why he did traveling ministry was to lead people to see God and be convicted of their sin and get saved in a whole new way, Amen? amen? When Jesus shows up, there's a crowd, there's compassion, and number three, when Jesus shows up, there's pure, genuine conviction. Not condemnation. Not you stink, God can't forgive you, you dirty rotten rat. No, 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 that's condemnation. When Jesus shows up, there's this beautiful picture of conviction that God wants to be in a loving relationship with you. He wants you to be better. He wants you broken free from that sin that entangles you. Verse 12, and the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, walked all through the stunned onlookers, and all, all, all. When that says all, I think about those pious, uppity, religious people sitting there. <gasps> all. We're amazed and all, praise God. You really want to know when it's a move of God? We're going to see people get saved. When I pray for revival, I don't pray just for Hillspring, I pray for Harvest and Crosspoint. In church on the move. in church that matters. And the Nazarene church. The church of Christ. What, what would it be, man, if this whole town experienced revival? Man, I hear there's revival going on in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. Oh, which church? It don't matter. Just the whole town caught fire for Jesus. And people from Sepulpa coming to watch them burn. People get convicted in a good way of how good God is. Like There's something with conviction that that helps you understand. The enemy says, you've gone so far, God can't forgive you. Conviction comes with this gentle coating of the Holy Spirit of, oh, 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 he sent his son to die so you could be forgiven. There's a beautiful conviction that comes along with this. I used to think conviction was a heavy thing, but it's not. It's a beautiful thing. It's God putting his thumb on your life, going, no, 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 you can do better. Here, I'm going to give my Holy Spirit to help you. Don't don't go down that road. You know, that's not, here, let's go this way because this is God's best for you. When Jesus shows up, there's this beautiful picture of conviction. As we close this 21 days of prayer and fasting, yes, we're praying for God to do things in our lives, to fix our kids, to fix our parents, to fix the marriage, to fix the business, to fix the... Jesus, would you show up would you show up in those situations? But Jesus, would you also show up and make us aware that you're in the room? If Jesus was here, if Jesus walked through those doors, what does that do on the inside of you? I mean, just think about it. If Jesus walked in the room, would you be afraid? If Jesus walked in the room, would you want to go hide in the corner? If Jesus walked in the room, would you get up and just bear hug him and just not let go even though there's a line? Thank you, Jesus. I was lost. I was dead in my sin. You forgave me. I couldn't forgive myself. Since none of us are on social media, amen. I read a news story this week. And... uh, a dad was a firefighter and there was a fire in his own neighborhood, just three houses down the street from where his house was. And, you know, the fire trucks were there and the wife brought the kids and he had a two-year-old little girl. And after that, it was safe. You know, the fire had been put out. Dad wanted to just come down the street and say hello. And, and there's this beautiful picture where you see fireman dad and all of his fire outfit. And you see this two-year-old little blonde-headed girl in nothing but a diaper, mind you. Running down the street to see her daddy. Hmm. I'm going to be wearing more than a diaper, but I want to run see Jesus. God, thank you. Lord, thank you for your goodness. You got lungs in your breath because God's given it to you. Some of you are still married. Because God gave it to you. Some of you are forgiven of that sin because God forgave you. Thank you for Jesus. Do you know him? Would you want to go hide in the corner if Jesus came in or would you want to go hug him? Say, Jesus, thank you for your grace and your mercy. If you don't know him, before I let you go, I want to make sure today that you do. Here's the gospel, as plain, simple as I can make it, that all of us, we're sinners. All of us have fallen short. Praise God. And while you and I were dead and stuck in that sin, God looked down and he sent his son Jesus. And Jesus walked the face of the earth. He did miracles that were studying. He talked. And there came an appointed time where Jesus would be nailed to a cross. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And when Jesus shed his blood, there was now a way for, for you to meet that standard. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you'd believe in your heart, God raised him supernaturally, miraculous from the dead, making him divine, proving he really was the Son of God. If you would believe all that in your heart, then you will be saved. Have you ever done that? I wanna lead you just in a simple prayer. It's not the words, it's not a chant. It's, it's not, do I say the words right? No, 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 no. This prayer is the best way I know how for us to confess and believe. And so all across this room, I'm gonna ask every head bowed and every eye closed, I promise you today, if you would run to the corner if Jesus came in, that if you pray this prayer and you mean it with a sincere heart of faith, like I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna ask you to walk the aisle. What's important is right there at your chair is that you confess and believe. If you know you need that today, just pray this prayer with me right there at your seat. Just say, dear Heavenly Father. Just say that, dear Heavenly Father. I come to you today because I need you. Would you come into my life? Would you begin to change me? Make me a new person? I don't want that life anymore. I'm so sorry, Jesus. I'm asking you to forgive me. Today, Jesus, I completely surrender my whole life to you. Every head still bowed, every eye's still closed. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer, you don't have to walk the aisle, you don't have to talk to anybody, just slip up your hand, I wanna pray for you. Anybody here today prayed that prayer, slip it up real high so I can see it, be bold. anyone. God, we love you. Lord, we want to catch fire for Jesus. And some of us are saved, but maybe we're so spiritually cold. It's been so long. Lord, would you interrupt our lives? We have no choice but to turn our heart affection and attention to you. Because there's a greater work to be done. In the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody says, Amen. Come on, give God praise. Amen, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the give now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.